0: Welcome to The Wild Photographer with Court Whalen. Welcome back to The Wild Photographer. We've got a good one today. Well, they're all good, you know that. Uh, But this one's interesting in that it's going to kind of simplify things. We're going to get back to the basics. We're going to talk about getting away from our fancy-dancy SLRs and mirrorless cameras. We're going to get down to just our smartphone. One of the things I love about smartphones is that it's, well, it's, it's always with you. And as you've probably heard me say before, the very best camera in the world is the one you have with you. That's how to categorize if it's the best or not. If it's with you, it is. If it's not, it's a useless camera. So the great thing is we have these things with us all the time. Now, trust me, I am definitely one for a bit of digital detox here and there, especially on nature outings. Um, But at the same time, it's such an easy thing to bring with you. You can put it on airplane mode and you won't be distracted. You still have all your photo capabilities. And as a bonus, you know, putting on airplane mode doesn't just limit distractions. It also saves that battery life. I've taken my, smartphone on five, six day trips, not charges a single night. And it still lasts the whole time for photography. It's really, really great stuff. So, um, if you want to go light, you want to go minimal, but still get great shots, still get great memories. Here is a list of my five favorite techniques for getting the best and most creative images and videos possible on your smartphone. Number one, use portrait mode for way more than just portrait. Portrait mode is amazing, and nearly all smartphones offer some version of this. Basically, your camera is using a combination of lenses and internal technology to result in a shot with a very shallow depth of field. The result, the thing you're focusing on is sharp, but most everything behind or in front of it is nicely blurred. We call that bokeh or bokeh, uh, kind of a tomato-tomato thing there. It's very coveted in the photographic world. It's really that symbol of quality and professionalism. It's that pro look when the thing that you're looking at is nice and sharp, but everything in the background is nicely blurred. We love it. You will love it. Embrace it, it's gonna level up your smartphone game. Use that portrait mode for everything possible. Sure, it's designed for people shots and it's darn good for that because it helps isolate your subject. It helps draw focus and attention into the person you're shooting. Um, but you know, use it for other things. When you have a strong foreground element, uh, foreground element is just a fancy way of saying whatever's in front of you, something that's strong in the foreground and a nice distance in the background, use that and you're gonna you're gonna start noticing that nice drop-off of focus, a nice blur that gives you that pro look. As an added bonus, that soft background, that bokeh or bokeh, really helps make the subject look even sharper. Um, it doesn't make the subject sharper. The, sh- the subject's just going to be as sharp as it always was. But that contrast, that juxtaposition between a blurred background and a tack-sharp subject actually makes the thing in focus look more in focus. So it's a really a win-win here. Number two, use that grid on your screen for composition. If you don't know what that grid is, it's a rule of thirds composition grid. Uh, I have some resources on earlier podcasts that talk about how to use it properly, but the basic gist is this little tic-tac-toe board on your phone screen is way more powerful than you think. This rule of thirds grid is the essence of composition. It's something that I always recommend people start with. I'm also the same person that says rules are always meant to be broken, but I do think if you're gonna break the rules, you should know what rules you're breaking and that it helps you be even more creative. Technically, it's it's about some pretty crazy math. I'm not going to go into the laws of aesthetics and the mathematics behind rule of thirds and the Fibonacci sequence. But basically, it comes down to this really interesting equation and this interesting ratio that is found everywhere in nature. Everything natural out there from whirls of leaves on trees all the way to how the double helix of our DNA is structured. It's the same ratio and same formula. Uh, this is worth Googling if it interests you. Uh, It's sometimes called the Fibonacci sequence or spiral, sometimes called just the golden rule or golden ratio. You're going to see some really, really cool stuff out there on the internet about it. But basically, at its most basic use in photography, it can be distilled down into one line. Break your scene into thirds. Group scenery or subjects into one-third or two-thirds of the screen. And put your subjects at one of the four intersecting points instead of just smack dab in the middle of your screen. So this is worth saying again. Break your scene into thirds. Group scenery or subjects into one-third or two-third increments. Don't just put things smack dab in the middle of the screen. It's always nice to offset them. And when possible, put your subjects or put something interesting in the scene at one or more of those four intersecting points to help draw the eye to a very, very significant part of the screen. Again, because of all this crazy mathematics stuff I'm not going to go into right now. Now, remember, rules are meant to be broken. So don't think that this is something you have to do for each and every photo. But I'll be honest, as a pro photographer doing over 20 years of photography around the world, I stick with the rule of thirds at least 90% of the time. And when I am breaking the rules, I definitely know when and why and how to do so. The best thing to do, unless you are extremely advanced in photography, is start with a rule of thirds and build from there. Break when the time is right. This next one is super cool. Use your polarized sunglasses like a polarizing filter. Now this is something very, very unique and special for smartphones because of how big or really how small the lens is on your smartphone. I would love to use my fancy sunglasses, my fancy polarized glasses on my DSLR camera, but the truth is is that the end of my lens is way bigger than my my sunglasses. Smartphones, itty bitty lens, relatively large sunglasses, you can cover the whole surface area and you get a great filter out of it. The time I use this most often is usually with landscapes, especially in the summer when we have nice, real billowy clouds in the distance. Uh, the, The polarizer, what it does is it really emphasizes the outline of clouds and it helps make the blue tint of the sky look more saturated, makes it look more blue. It really is a wonderful addition. It gives your photos that X factor, that that ump and that pop. I highly recommend it. Give it a shot next time you're out there. And frankly, even if you don't have polarized glasses, but you just have some sort of cool tint to your glasses, you might also see how neat it is to use that as a filter for your smartphone. Really fun stuff. Okay, tip number four. This actually diverges a little bit away from traditional, quote unquote, doing air quotes here, photography. Uh, use slow-mo more. This is getting into videography. That slow motion feature that we have on our smartphones nowadays is absolutely amazing. This kind of tech used to be so hard to come by and quite honestly, prohibitively expensive for all but real deal pro studio photographers, but now most of us have it in our pockets with some of the newer phones. It's, it's absolutely brilliant. Uh, so here's my recommendation. Here's some of my favorite ways to use slow-mo when out in nature this summer. Uh, number one, Swift water. Try getting down to the shore and taking a few seconds of a rushing creek or river, anything where water is moving, even a shoreline at a beach, and take a couple seconds to slow mow. Now do it safely, of course. You know, moving water and balancing on a rock can be a little tricky, so do it safely, but try getting down closely and filling the frame with that moving water. It's going to look really darn cool. Uh, Number two, a campfire flickering in the night. I know you're going to be around a campfire at some point in the summer. Take a few seconds of that campfire dancing in the night and it's going to play back really cool in that slow-mo version. Number three, I love taking epic panoramic videos of really, really cool big landscapes with slow-mo. Uh, you can do this sort of pan from left to right, or right to left, or up to down, whatever on normal video, just fine. However, what what the slow mode does for you is it actually looks. It kind of like falsely steadies your hand because you're moving slower. Any sort of jerkiness or, or ununiform movement from left to right is going to be smoothed out because you're going so slow. You don't have that shake that might otherwise happen when you're trying to pan, you know, holding one hand and moving with the other and trying to do really slow. Uh, slow mo is great for panoramics of big landscapes. Video panoramics, of course. We're not talking about the photographic kind. Fireworks. Um, So this post is a little bit late for the good old 4th of July, but fireworks really, really cool with slow motion video. And last but not least, kind of like a a new dimension, a new take on a group photo of friends and family. Just ask everybody when you're about ready to hit that slow-mo button, ask everybody to jump up and down and do something goofy, you know, kick their legs out or, or raise their hands or whatever. It's an instant classic. It's so fun. It's so funny. It's a great memory. Now while I'm on the topic of slow mo one thing that you, you have to keep in mind is that slow mo expands the video by usually 6 to 10 times the length, usually closer to 10, maybe even more. So the reason I'm saying that is if you wish to share that super cool 10-second flickering fire, um, you know it's going to turn into a minute or more if you actually take 10 seconds of that video. Stick with just a couple seconds, two to three seconds of whatever you're doing, and that's still going to turn into like 10 or 15 seconds, but it's a lot more shareable, and it's not going to get as boring for the viewer to watch if you send that or post it on social media. Okay, the last one, number five, position yourself for the best light. This kind of gets into the overall realm of photographic, prowess and technique. Um, It's a little bit of a cliche as well, but it's so true. Photography is all about the light. If you are on the edge of the Grand Canyon, it's magnificent. It's fantastic. There's all sorts of colors of rock and pockets and textures and contrasts. But it's the middle of the night with no stars, and no moon. You don't have a photo. There's there's nothing there. It's all dark. So just constantly remember what you are photographing is how light is playing on the thing you're photographing. We tend to like different times of day for different light. Photographers, I would say I always prioritize that early morning and late afternoon. What we try to avoid is those harsh shadows of midday, that top-down sun Usually, not a really, really great look. It creates a lot of shadows, a lot of lights, and a lot of darks. Things are either too dark or too light. It's just not all that good. So, when you're lining up for photos of your friends and nature, you know, put the light behind you. Think about where the light's coming from or maybe to your side if uh, you're photographing people. You really want the light on their faces. What you don't want to do is, you know see that beautiful sunset in the background, put people in front of it and think you're gonna get both. It just doesn't work that way, frankly. The best thing is to have that sun at your back. Believe it or not, even if you are facing the opposite way of a nice sunset, the color of that sunset is gonna illuminate the faces of your friends and family and maybe the landscape you're taking them in a lot better than trying to get the sunset in your photo. It's just a rule of photography. Uh, also, when possible, try to get light at an angle. Typically, we want a nice, soft, angled light when photographing people. Uh, if you were a clock in the direction you're looking or photographing was at 12, 12 noon, uh, you want your light source, uh, the sun, basically, either at four or five o'clock or seven or eight o'clock, kind of just behind you and off to the side. So trust me, if you're out there taking photos of friends and family and you're moving them and saying, look this way, I know it's a little bit of a hassle, a little bit annoying, but you're going to look really good when you nail that shot and your friends and family are wowing at how good of a photo you took with just your smartphone. So there you have it, folks, a quick roadmap for success when you're out there in your next adventure and want to capture it in all its glory. If you do want more tips and tricks on photography from beginner to advanced, check out other episodes of my podcast. It's available on iTunes, Spotify, Google, or wherever you're listening to this one today. So cheers, guys. Happy shooting out there and enjoy this summer. Take care.